0: you will. We'll get started this morning, Romans 8, and uh, we will uh, jump here into the end of the chapter, verse 38. So let's start reading at 35 and just get the thought here. Uh, It's good to see Minnesota represented. So good to be back. Glad to have you. So... All right, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, last time we went through verse 35 and 36 and 37, and we saw verse 35, the seven areas uh, that can be detrimental to you and I if we uh, I'll, we can if we we'll let it consume us, and these seven areas can literally begin to remove us from the love of Christ, the love of God. And those areas there are areas that we need to be aware of, we need to identify. These are areas where the adversary is going to attack. Note verse 35, who shall be who? who. There's a who. <laughs> You know, Horton the who. There's a who here. So there's an enemy. And the enemy is, and I I said it last time, we got three of them. There's the adversary, the devil, and then his workers, and then you. Because you get bad thinking. And the whole goal, as we're going to see here, is that you're aware of it. So we started in verse 31 what shall we then say to these things if god be for us so there's a for us doctrine but then there's also who then can be against us there's the against us doctrine so you've got this being developed all the way down and the answer to who could separate us from the love of christ tribulation or distress tribulation and distress all of those personal issues that are happening and so forth the answer is verse t- 37 Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And we talked about that issue of being a more than, a, more than conqueror. A conqueror is someone who brings the, the, ad, the adversity to an end. It's done. But we are still, you know, if the Lord tarries and your afternoon goes the way you have planned, you're going to wake up in the morning. So the adversity doesn't really end. That's why he says we're more than a conqueror. We're going to take that adversary, that, that that adversity, and we're going to exploit it. We're going to use it to our eternal benefit, and that's really what we've been dealing with in Romans eight, from verse eighteen, all the way down. Is this issue of of we are in the well verse eighteen. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared. So there's a suffering that we're going through, the connection to the curse of create, placed on creation. And now in verse 35 and following, there's going to literally, we're going to get it down in 38 here and 39 this morning. Uh, we won't get them all, but we're going to get into them because now there's a suffering in connection to our identity in Christ and who we are in Christ. So there's a there so what do you say to these things? How do you react? How do you think about this? How do you look at this? And Paul says the goal is for you to be a more than conqueror, a super conqueror. A take the ad, activity, take the adversity and use it, exploit it for our eternal benefit. Now in verse 38 we see a, another list. Paul likes lists. Sometimes you ought to go through Paul's epistles and write the list down. First Corinthians is full of lists. I mean, he's got lists everywhere. Second Corinthians, well, what do you do when you're reproving people? You give them lists. You give them marks and so forth that they can check off. So now we see uh, another list. And actually, if you'll look at, at verse 39... He says, nor any other, notice that, creature. So the list here of death nor life, they're kind of categoried up together. Nor death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities and powers, those go together. Nor things present, nor things to come, those go together. Then he says, nor height, nor depth. Those go together. But then he says, any other creature. And I said it last time, th- these are any other creature. So when he looks at death and life and angels, and he's looking at them as creatures, entities, that are going to be behind the seven in verse 35. Okay, do you follow that? I I said that last week, and and then I was like, well, maybe you need to be a little more clear on that. By the way, verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither, I am persuaded. That's the goal, to be persuaded beyond doubt. And and actually, I have written there, belief beyond doubt. If you come back to chapter 4, Paul has uh, chapter 4. Verse 21, talking about Abraham and the promise there. Uh, verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving God, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to. See that? Fully persuaded. Belief beyond doubt. You know, Paul, Paul later here when we get into Romans, he'll say, Let every man be persuaded in his own mind. Persuasion. Here's the evidence. Believe the evidence of God's word. Now go back to chapter 8. Because who's going to come up? There's going to be an adversary going to come up. Who's going to do what? Present evidence. And just as Paul will later tell Timothy, just as Janice and Jambres withstood Moses, what does their evidence look like? Two to one. So the adversary literally throws up better evidence. By the way, that's a little teaser for next hour. So don't go anywhere. Stay for next hour, okay? Because there's a thing here that's going on with the adversary that we need to be very well aware of. We kind of introduced him last time there in Isaiah 14. Go back into that, because what's he going to do? He knows that he can't get you out of who you are in Christ But rather, he's going to try and dislodge you, remove you from that deep understanding of how much God loves you and is for you and values you. There's this intense, there's an intensity here that Paul's driving at in the identification doctrines in chapter 6, 7, and 8. And when we get done, I may go back and just kind of do a review of this section because it's so, we, we did it in the first section, by the way. That was 90-something lessons ago, <laughs> so a year and a half ago maybe. But the thing is, is so, he's like, look, guys, God loves you. How much does he love you? Well, we saw that. He's, verse 32, he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. He, he loved you so much, just look at Calvary. He loves you so much, look at the future glory he's got planned for you. That means right now, what does he do? He didn't just write you off and say, see you later, Charlie. <laughs> Maybe we'll see you, you know, down the road. No, he says, I love you that intense. So there's an issue here, it's starting in verse 38, with this other creature, the, the entities the, the, that are uh, operating in the background, but they're operating in the realm of tribulation. Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword. So there's a there's going to be some entities, uh, agents, if you will. You know, I was watching a movie the other night, and uh, it was a good CIA shoot 'em up, kill 'em movie. Couldn't tell you what it was right now, but but it, it, the person that they were after was a quadruple agent, and I had never heard that. Usually, it's a double agent quadruple agent and they really wanted i'm like quad what you four countries right you know i'm like holy cow but they didn't know what the dude looked like because he was always in the background and then they began to catch him they caught him in a surveillance they caught just to you know how movies get you know it's wonderful to watch 1990 movies today When you see what they can do today, and you go back and you go, oh, man, that was so corny. (laughs) And in the moment, you're, "Ah," you know. That's what's happening here. Any other creature. So when we start here, and we'll get as far as we can today and tomorrow. Next week, we'll finish this up. Hopefully. That's the plan. But the thing is, is when you think about death, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any... We're, we're talking about something that's not in the general way. Think about death. Death is an enemy to the lost world because it's appointed unto man, what, Wants to die. They know it's coming. You and I do. If the Lord tarries, we'll live out our, you know, well it, the book says 72 years, but nowadays with medicine, I have I, 106 the other day. I read a lady who turned 105 or 106 or something, you know, and they ask her, what's your key to it? And she's like, you know, whatever. She's, I'm sitting key nothing, man. I'm looking for the outbox. Where do I get out of here? You know, but What is death in a general sense? Come over to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is not talking about death in a general sense, but rather in the context of what we're dealing with in Romans 8. Look over at 1 Corinthians 15. So we know that if the Lord tarries and life goes along without major incident, that what's going to happen? We're going to get over. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written: Death is swallowed up in victory. It's Isaiah 25. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory, where? Over death and the grave, right? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we, if you're a believer, what's your attitude about death and the grave? No big deal. You're victorious over that. So we're not victims to, to dying to death but rather we have victory. So death in a general sense here is really not the enemy. We have a vic, we are victorious over death verse 57 there. So when you come back to Romans 8 in Romans 8 he's talking about death being what an enemy and at odds, someone who's trying to dislodge you from that wonderful intensity, the understanding of it, the resting in it, this being sustained by the love of God, the value of the Father, the value of the Son. The va- He's trying to get you out of that, wrestle you away from it. So death here, verse 38, Romans eight thirty-eight, that neither death... How can death separate us then? What's he talking about? If we're conquerors over death, which we are in resurrection, corruption puts on incorruption, mortality puts on immortality, then what kind of death then are we dealing with here? What's the reference to? Well, in the context, we've seen a death. Look at verse 36. As it is written, for thy sake we are, what? Killed all the day long. We're killed. Now, so there's a death here. There's a type of death that needs never to dislodge our confidence in God's love for us and towards us. We're not worried about the grave. But here's a different kind of death. Here's a death that's going to come into play. And it's something that has to do in connection to our identity in Christ. Now, you think about the adversary. He, does he love the fact that you are sealed and sanctified and justified and all of those positions we have in Christ? Not at all. So what's his end game? What's he trying to, He's trying to get you out of the battle, that warfare. That's why Ephesians 6, the armor, uh, in a couple years we're going to go through the armor. I'm just kidding. Hopefully next year we'll get through the armor because of the attack. Because the thing is, is... What's he want? Paul says, stand there. What's he want you to do? Sit down. You know, in the ball game last night, a couple guys, you know, they go over and they sit down. You know, and then Nick Saban got in their face, but they, they sit down. It's like he wants you out of the battle. He knows he can't get you out of the seal of the Holy Spirit. So he comes in, and now, my confusion, they're looking around. They're like, what in the world's going on here? We're being persecuted. We're being killed. And we know what the word of God is, and he'll deliver us, and he'll protect us, and he'll do this. And we're, we're not trusting in our own bow and our own self. We're trusting in his word. What's going on here? You'd be a little confused, too. <laughs> but you and I have that same confusion, don't we? When we look around at life around us, and we go, my goodness, what is going on here? Every, I take two steps forward, I got five going backwards, you know, I'm thinking it breaks. I was messing with the, uh, the water uh, going to the washer a couple years ago when we got a new washer, and I broke the little tab on the top. Fortunately, I broke it in the open position. Because guess what? To turn, now to move the washer, I have to turn the water off to the house or else I'll fill the house up with water. You know, I got a nice handyman. He's going to come over later in the month, hopefully, <laughs> and fix. I, plumbing is just not my alley. I'll get electrocuted or shocked, but man, that water just doesn't work for me. But the thing is, is what's going on? Why is this, Lord? That's what the little flock's crying but that's what you and I cry as well, don't we? What's happening here? Romans 8, Paul says, you know why. The connection to the creation, but now this connection to who you are in Christ. Look at verse 18. Our heart is not turned back, neither have our steps declined upon, what? Thy way. You know what they're saying hey we have we have not left your word we haven't left the word you gave us look at verse 21 shall not God search this out for he knoweth the secrets of the heart look at what they claim they said Lord what's going on why aren't you delivering us we're confused about this seriously We understand what's to happen. We got that. We see it. We trust your word. We're not trusting in ourselves. We're trusting in you. And you know what? If you don't believe us, Lord, search our hearts out. Now, boy, what faith to claim that, to say, you don't believe me? Search my heart out. Now look at verse 22, because here's the quote. Yay. For thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter." They look at the Lord, they say, search us out, but you know what? We're going to get killed. Verse 23, awake thou, uh, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Wherefore, hidest thou thy face and forgettest our affliction and our oppression. Notice what they know, they understand what's happening to them. Affliction, oppression, they've got it, they got it. But they look over for the deliverance, and, and it's like he's asleep. You know, what's going on here? For our soul, verse 25, is bowed down to the dust. Our belly cleaveth unto the earth. Arise for our help, and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. But they looking around, and they say, you know what? We see what's happening. It's a little confusing. We're not, you know, okay. But we are not leaving you. No matter what comes up, we'll just look at it as sheep for the slaughter. By the way, that's how the world will view them in the 70th week. Talking about the believing remnant. They're not Israel. Because the whole of Israel is an apostasy, and they'll sign on. But that believing remnant, you know what the world looks like at them? They're sheep. Now, you think about, in today's vernacular, when you say people are sheep, what what does that indicate? They're stupid. They're ignorant. They just be led around by the ring in their nose. They can't think for themselves, right? That's what they're going to think, but look at what Paul does. Paul, Go back to Romans 8, 36. He says, there's a parallel here, guys. I haven't experienced that. But I hope we never have to. But there are people that did that. Think about Paul. In Paul's day, he was in that boat. So what Paul's doing here is he's drawing a parallel. And really what he's after is if the little flock can endure all that they're going to endure. And you read Revelation and they face a buzzsaw and they remain faithful to the point where they're actually challenged God to search their hearts, then you know what? You can do the same thing if you have what? The proper perspective, the proper thinking process. Come over to Philippians chapter 1. So death here, death here is coming at the hands of an enemy, An adversary that is seeking to wipe out the body of Christ from the relationship and the connection we have with Christ. Again, the adversary knows that he can't get you out of who you are in Christ positionally. But functionally, what can he do? He can mess you up. He can mess you up so bad that you're willing to, yeah, you're. I'm saved, and I know it, but you're willing to jettison the w- truth of God's word rightly divided. He can get you, and he's got mechanisms to do that, and that's what we're at. Now, watch Philippians 1. Look at verse 20. Think about Paul and this issue of death. Philippians 1, verse 20. By the way, I'm not rushing through this these last two verses because of this, because it's so critical, okay, and it's important. So if we only get a couple today, then we'll just do a part two and a part three because these are creatures, these are entities that are behind the tribulation, persecution, distress, peril, sword, and all of that. Now look at verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Now, Paul's in prison here. The Philippian jailer. Think about, okay, Philippi. That's where he just got started uh, back up there in verse number 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day. There's Acts 16, the Philippian jail, until now. Now, this is some time later, okay, the end of Acts. He's in prison, and he's writing to him. But notice, he's in prison. Now, think about this. The same government, Rome, who defended his rights as a citizen, is now going to behead him. Well, it's going to behead him, not now, but going to. Think about that. So the same government that defends his rights as a citizen of Rome is now going to take his life. So don't think the government defending you is, in the end is going to still defend you. (laughs) Why? Because there's a politic involved. There's an expediency involved. But notice the end of that verse. By life or by what? Death. Now, he's not going to die of old age. He's in jail. He's not going to die from getting sick of the COVID and keeling over. How's, what, so the death here is by what? By the government. He, see, Paul doesn't know when he's writing here if they haven't already passed a death sentence on him. You see, we think about prison and jail like you got to go to court. They didn't do that back then. You had your initial appearance, you got to speak, and then they decided. And then how you knew that was when the guy in the hood came down to get you. You know, you ought to read sometime, uh, there's several books out there about the, uh, the life in the first century and the civilization and how things run. It wasn't just, a, it wasn't anything like you and I experience, where we're looking for ten appeals and three attaboys and a pat on the back, and, and it wasn't that at all. Paul doesn't know if they haven't already passed a death sentence on. And again, (laughs) who wanted him dead? Everybody did. Think about the religious system. The Jews came up against him. They went and got men of the lewd baser sort. They went to the government and put out a a warrant of arrest against him. they're, They're after him. They've made a vow to kill him. They actively sought him out. Think about the world system. The craftsmen there at Ephesus, as they made the idols to Diana, what did they want to do? Kill him. They even got in cahoots with the Jews to get him. And then you have the government. And they're now seeking his death too. Why? To to appease the people. So here's Paul What does he say, though, verse 20? According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be, what? Magnified. Wow. Verse 21, he talks, and he says, For, to me, to Paul, here he is in jail, doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He says, everything I've done to this point, i got a clear conscience on it. I'm not ashamed of it. I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know he'll, he'll resurrect me. I'm good to go. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, I know. So bring it on. But then he says, for to me. Paul's estimation to live is what? Christ and not but to die and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be and to be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Boy, look at the predicament. Now again, this is a very specific death here that could lead the believer, could lead Paul to say, does God really love me? Look at what's going on. If God loved me, he would not have put me in this situation. You follow that? That's, so we're not talking about just dying. We're talking about something very specific, a specific entity, a specific death Uh, Come come back to 1 Corinthians 4. On your way, stop at 2 Corinthians 1. That that could lead. I shouldn't say that will lead. It could lead the believer to conclude, how can God love me? He's not for me. Look at what's going on. If he was in my corner, and what has Paul done, done in Romans 8? No, you dummy. He's for you. Look at the past. Look at the future. For you hear, because when you look over here and you remember that the present suffering is not worthy to be compared. Remember my scale. Keep that glory down. Man, that glory's loaded. It'll never balance out. And when we start comparing, then we start losing the confidence in the love of Christ for you and I. 1 Corinthians, or some am sorry, 2 Corinthians 1. Look at verse 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Here's Acts 19. But we had, in Acts 19, that's the Ephesus and the silversmith and all those guys go after him, they're we ha- but we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raised the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver. Notice that. How did God deliver Paul from the moments in Acts 19? How does God, but he says he delivered us, and what? Doth deliver. He's still delivering us. It isn't God Reworking the circumstances, because we already know he doesn't do that. Romans 8. But the understanding, the knowledge, the wisdom, the prudence of how God does operate, what does it do? It delivers you. Keep reading. In whom we trust that he will yet deliver us, ye also helping together by prayer for us. Isn't that interesting? Never in any of these passages, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, any of these passages where Paul prays, the prayers there in Philippians, he doesn't pray, God, get me out of this jail. Can God do it? Sure, he did it for him before, but he doesn't say it again. When he writes Colossians, he's still in jail. And you know what? He doesn't say, hey, I'm praying. He says, no, man, the end of Philippians, you guys sent to me? You took care of me? I, I, it's a, that is a sweet savor-smelling offering that you made to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 4. Look at verse 9. For I think that God has set forth us the apostles' last, as it were, what? Appointed to death. A death that can possibly come... At the hand of the enemy. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. There they are. A spectacle on display for all to see. But yet also where the course of the world is focused in on. And the world is, this present evil world is focused in on the body of Christ. And you know what? We have become, we are, we always have been, an a, a object of ridicule. The Lord looks at his disciples and says, The world's going to hate you, but just remember, they hated me first. <laughs> so happy, 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 go to it. Then he says, So that's where we're at. Now go back to Romans 8. I look at the clock. Romans 8, so the death here, for I am persuaded that neither death is a specific death connected to and associated with your identity in Christ, the work of ministry, your ambassadorship. And it's not death of the grave. You're going there if the Lord tarries. But rather, it's a death of trying to dislodge you from resting in who you are in Christ and the love of God. And it's, that's what he's after. Now, 838, nor life. So we got death, nor what? Life. The counterpart. Now, again, we're not in a general sense of, hey, man, when Rick shuts up and gets done today, man, we're going to lunch and we're going to go down and see a movie. Or I see Bob, we're going to go play golf or whatever. It's not that kind of a life in a general sense but rather it's a reference to a very specific quality of life or type of life. And again, go back to verse 36. For thy sake we are killed all the day long. There's the death. We are what? Accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And again, the one doing the accounting is the adversary, is the world. How does the Lord view you? How does God view you? Well, look back up at chapter 8 there. Look back up at verse number uh, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the what? Sons of God. What's, what is, how does God view you? Not sheep, but sons, adults. And we went through that. I told you there. He, he's looking at you as an adult. He ain't looking at you as a sheep. By the way, an adult does what? Thinks independent but thinks independent of everybody else, but yet delights in what the Lord's doing and goes and participates in that. What does a sheep do? Just follows the crowd. He's, you, know, you, you know that sheep aren't dumb animals, if you think about it, but they act that way. And yet, he says we're what? We're sheep for the slaughter. So we're talking about a life that is lived a life that is experienced in the light of being sheep for the slaughter. A life where the world, where religion views us as nobodies. He'll tell the Corinthians over there. Uh, we'll get there in just a minute. He talks about a one of a life where the worldview, the religion view, is is one of opposition. There's nothing in this life that can separate us from the love of God but it's not just living day you got up this morning which is a good thing because that means you were breathing right no no dead people here so we're okay you know but see the thing is is you don't think about that it's what it's life we have breakfast we you know our routine on Sundays is McDonald's and through and get the coffees and you know off we go. In the context, it's something that's happening in life. When life is against us because we are what? Ambassadors for Christ. You follow that? Now, go back to Philippians 1, where we just were, and look at verse 20 again. Because Paul's going to say that here. Philippians 1, verse 20. The end of the verse, Christ shall, uh, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. There's a kind of life that Paul is describing here. Again, he's breathing, but he's in the prison. He's not worried about, do I live another day to eat? For to me to, what? Live. There's a life here where Christ is to be magnified. Now, think about that. Think about magnification. When you magnify something, you basically do two things. You make distant things closer. My kids for Father's Day got me a dictionary, an Oxford English dictionary in one volume. 21, 22 volumes in one volume. So you know what the page, I mean, it's a big, tall book, but do you know what the page is? It's all of those condensed down, so there's like, what is there, one, two, three, four, co- four and four. You know what? You can't read it with the naked eye. And They know that. In the box, you know what was in the box? A magnifier. And it was one of those magnifiers that are flat with the dome so you can lay it on the page and everything. You know what I had to do? I had to go on... Amazon and get me one a little more magnification (laughs) even that one I couldn't I'm like oh, struggle get the light right you know so here I am I got my my hobby lights on my magnifier and this and the light shining and I'm like okay I can finally see the word (laughs) so you make small things distant things what close but then you also make invisible things visible When they first found the atom, it was because of a microscope. Got it under, magnified it up, they could dissect, they could look. Paul is saying here, my life, the quality of life, the type of life that I am not ashamed, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, is a life, it's a lens that magnifies... The suffering of Christ, it magnifies the life of Christ, it magnifies, well, if you look at verse 29, 129, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye, what, saw in me, in other words, he did what? He was a spectacle, he put it on display, they saw it. The folks at Philippi, so now they know how to do what? Handle it, because it's coming up against them. Look over at chapter 3 of Philippians. So when we talk about the life here, we're not talking about, oh, just living, kicking back, watching the football game this afternoon. Eating pizza and drinking uh, iced tea. I don't drink Coke anymore, so iced tea, you know. it's not, And I don't even eat pizza anymore. That's a bummer, isn't it? No pizza, no Coke, no chocolate, no... Well, chocolate, eh, we still slip that in every now and then, you know. you got to have something sweet at the end of the evening with your coffee, you know. Anyway, Philippians 3, look at verse 10. It's not a general life, that's the point. That's what Paul's getting at. Verse 10, 310. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection... Baxter, in his book, Through the, going, uh, through the Bible, Sidlow Baxter, he makes a point here in this passage that after 35 years of a Christ-intoxicated life, Paul says, that I may know him. just want to know him more and more. And the fellowship of his, what, sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Isn't that interesting? The fellowship of his sufferings. Fellowship. Paul says, My life is to be used to magnify his life, his death. So Paul is encouraging the Philippians, he's encouraging you and I to live a life that validates the life of Christ but validates it through the means of the issues of suffering. When suffering comes up, how are you handling it? That's why he says there, being made conformable unto his death. How was Christ's death? Galatians 2 hangs on the back wall. I live by the faith of the Son of God. The faith of the Son of God. How did Christ die? It starts with a, not I, not my will, but Thy will be done. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he gets over here, and he says, Okay, Lord, I'm coming home. Okay, Father, here I come. Into your hands I commend myself. Boom. That, That whole transformation of what? I'm here doing and functioning and operating what the word of God, word of the Father, told me to do would have me to do. I'm working the plan. You and I come along, and what do we have? We have a life, and our life, we begin to learn, come over to Colossians 1, about the issue of our ambassadorship, and what do we do? Well, what do you mean I can't have four cars and eight garages, or four garages with eight cars, you know? What do you mean I can't have? And it's not about having, it's about perspective, you and I come along and we say, you know what, maybe we take it in the, in the neck for this one this time. I was talking to Colossians 1. We were having our young married couple dinner and stuff a couple months ago, and we got to talking about money because money is a, one of the, the main sticking points in marriage conflict is money. It is actually the number one in the recent study I read about two months ago. It's money. And whether it's one spouse wants to spend it all and the other spouse doesn't, it doesn't matter who the spouse is, by the way, what do you have? You have a conflict. And then how do you resolve that conflict? And I made the comment to the kids. I say kids because I'm one of the older people now. But the kids, I used to be a kid, you know, that every spending decision that you make is a spiritual decision. Because if you think about that little Visa card, credit card, and you go spend the money, get out a loan to fulfill the lust of your flesh, ultimately, is what you're doing. Then you've can Then you've got to do what at the by the end of the month, make a payment. So then you can't do something pay money financially for the ministry. Because what are you having to pay off? The lust of your flesh. Follow that? I don't know how I got into all that. It's what? It's life. Paul says we're to have a life where we where we magnify his life. Now, there's nothing wrong with all of that if you've if you got the means to pay it down. But it's a way of what? Thinking about it. Going, hey, wait a minute here. You know, we got this amount of money, and look at what we're, you know, and but it's so—and look at what we can't do. There's a great push right now to get people to go back onto the mission field. Great push right now in Christianity out there. Go missions, missions, missions. And do you know that there are people in the body who would be wonderful on the mission field, but they can't because of debt? Because they made poor decisions, not thinking about the future, the ramifications, and they can't because of debt, consumer debt. And when that happens, guess what then they can't go do? They can't go do ministry. So there's a struggle there. There's a, there's an un, there's a balance that needs to happen, and nobody can figure it out except for the Apostle Paul. And he says you need to check that lust of the flesh thing. Just put it in check and deal with it and have the proper perspective. All right, Colossians 1. I can get back here. We've got five minutes. Colossians 1. Look at verse 24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Notice, fill up. There's a there's, there's some people here who are rejoicing in the sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the what? The afflictions, but of the afflictions of who? Of Christ. That's the perspective out there of the sheep to the slaughter. The world says, you guys are nuts. And you know what Paul says? Yep, but that's the life that we're going to experience, and that we're to have. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 12. 2 Timothy 3, and verse 12. Here you go. Yea, and all that, what's that word? Will. Your will. Will your decision-making center, you make a choice to do what? Live godly. If you make that choice to live godly in Christ Jesus, what's coming your way? You're going to suffer persecution. Now, again, it can be as lethal as death, but it can also be as harmless as losing a neighbor relationship. Family's a little different. Just a neighbor. Okay? Pick the guy that's not family. Family's tough. See? But what are you to do? You're to make that choice to do what? Live godly in Christ Jesus. Go back to Philippians chapter 1. So when he talks here about life and death, he's not talking about just general things here, but very specific. Um, you know what? Well, 129. We read it a minute ago. Just read it again here. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ. I, I love Paul. Just when they're terrified by their adversaries, verse 28, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which, by the way, is the problem at Philippi. It is what he is reproving them. But he's reproving adults, He's, he's reproofing sons of God. If you look over at verse, uh, oh, where did it go? I just had it. Go back. Look at verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet, what? More and more. They're already abounding. He's praying for them to do what? More. So they're already perfect. They're already perfect and mature, but they're what? Verse 28, they're terrified by their adversaries. They're allowing their emotions to get in the mix. By the way, that's why the ladies in chapter 4, he, he goes, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, 4-3, uh, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, those, those you know, Erodius and, uh, uh, you know, so, so touchy there. Uh, there's a problem going on. And it's emotional based. So 128, he says, which to them is an evident token of perdition. When the world sees you terrified by your adversaries, 128, what do they think? You're, it's weak. It's weakness. Look at you guys. Just beat them down. What do you mean you let this guy walk all over you? You know, because perdition. (laughs) To the world, it looks like you're getting walked all over. But to you of salvation and that of God. But what's our perspective? Hey, it's for unto you it is given, verse 29, on behalf of Christ. You know what? When that comes, it's because of who I am in Christ. We are to know that. We're to understand that. Now, come back to Romans 8. So life here... Again, it's not the life in a general, but rather a how to live life now. Understanding the enemy of it. That the enemy is trying to to disrupt, to crush that issue of you operating as who you are in Christ. And what Paul's getting at here is he's saying, don't run from it. Don't cower, don't surrender, don't lose hope, don't blame God, don't give up, don't cry. Remember, 837, what are you? A more than conqueror. Remember who you are. You're a more than, you're an ambassador for Christ. Now, one more passage, and we'll call it a morning, and then we'll... We only got through two, so I'll tell you how this is going to go. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So death, specific. Again, associated with your identity. You're going to get it in the neck because of who you are in Christ. By the way, why does the adversary go after the little flock in the 70th week? Because of who they are in Christ. Life. Life. A quality of life, a type of life. Look at 2 Corinthians 6, look at verse 3. Give none offense to anything that the ministry be not blamed. Wonderful passage, powerful passage going to start here. Verse 4. But in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God. So ministers of God, ambassadors. What's the next word? In. In. In much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distress, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watching, in fasting. In all of the details of life. Boy, what a life listed there. When Paul gets to the end and he says, I've, I've kept the faith, I've run the course, I'm good to go, it's because of that right there. In every detail of life. He says, we need to be approving ourselves as the ministers of God. Then he goes by, verse 6 and 7 and 8. But look at verse 9. As unknown and yet what? Well known. Does the world know who you are? No. Who knows who you are? The Lord does, but the adversary does too. You are well known. See, the world... When we moved into this building, we had no signs up because the other church left, took them all down. And we hung a big blue banner we used out front uh, at the swap meets. And a and guy, but it, all it had was our name on it and didn't even have the website. I don't believe it did. Anyway, and the guy, I, I ran into a guy out there. I think you guys were there. He's like, what is this rightly dividing thing? And I'm like, well, you know, here's our website. And we talked. Well, as soon as we put the name on the monument sign and the website, the emails are just boom, 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 boom. You guys are nuts. You're in a cult. You're this, you're that, you're And guess what? After six months of that, I don't get any of those emails anymore. Because half, you know, move on, life change, whatever. We're not well known by who? The world around us. But yet, what are we? We are well known. As dying, and behold, we live, as chaste and not killed, and so on. So in the life, that's what he's after. In Romans 8, in the context, a specific death, a specific life. A death, we're killed because of our identity in Christ, and a life, a quality of life, that as the world looks at us, they look at us as just sheep to the slaughter. And I think it's ironic that in our culture today, that sheep to the slaughter idea is everywhere. And it's prevalent in the COVID discussion, but it's always been prevalent when you say that you believe that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. And they look at you and they say, you're just a sheep. You're not a son. An adult wouldn't do that. But yet, what does God say? Yeah, my adults do do that. Okay? Now, we'll pick up with the angels and the principalities and the powers next time because now we move into the next category, and it's important to see that. Okay? Hopefully next week we'll get through a few more than two. But I don't want to run through this because this stuff is what's behind all of that in verse 35. Okay? Okay? All right, dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, we just thank you for who we are in you. Not only for all the spiritual blessings that you've given to us and the standing and the state and everything, but, but simply because you are our Savior and our Redeemer. And we love you for that. In your name we pray, amen. All right.